My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy to have you guys with us today. But today is a, is a special day. You see me using the, this mic, and that is because a dear friend of mine is here with us. But uh, we're heading into this last week. We started a new series called Hashtag Bless, which we're going to be uh, getting back into again next week. But this week, we continue in that. But we have the privilege that a, a dear friend of mine and a mentor of mine of, of many, many years is here. There are a, a few people in my life that have had a greater impact upon my life than Edwin Phillies. Uh, he was my leader when I was down in South Africa, or Sarah and I both down in South Africa for the last about, almost 15 years we spent there. Um, he is a, a, a global leader in the missions movement, has traveled the world serving the Lord. Uh, he is a, a member of the Khoisan tribe and in fact is the international spokesman for the Khoisan tribe of, of South Africa and has lived his life as just an exemplary way of, of declaring the beauty of Jesus among the nations. Uh, he pioneered a ministry called Nations to Nations of just seeing the people from all across the world, specifically the nations that are of the majority world, uh, the two-thirds world, seeing them uh, gain in dignity, gain in opportunity, gain in, in, in being able to reach the world beyond where, where they're at. And I have, there's, there's few people in the world I respect more than this man. He has shown me so much of what it looks like to follow Jesus and to see his people uh, turn to follow him. And so I, I am just so blessed that as we're in the series about blessing our neighbors, this morning we get to look beyond beyond just our local neighbors and look beyond that of what God is calling upon us to do that. And just as just a brief shout out as well, if you are uh, joining us week, if you have not yet checked it out, the book uh, Blessed is on the, the, the table outside. I would encourage you to pick it up just B-L-E-S-S. It's a book that's kind of going alongside. And next week, we're going to enter into the B of beginning with prayer. And it's just a great kind of background for where we're going in the series. And so today, I love being able to kick it off with my buddy. Uh, Ed, would you come up? I'd just like to pray for you again, Lord, my um, and... Uh, and bring what, what the Lord has to, to bring us. So, Father, I lift up to you, my brother. Um, and Lord, may you move in Edwin's heart today, Father, as he hears from you, as he brings for, to us uh, your words of life. Jesus, may you open up all of our hearts to hear uh, what you would speak to us. May you challenge us, may you open our eyes beyond ourselves, beyond our local neighbors, beyond our city, beyond even our nation, Lord, into the things that you're doing around the world, Father, in your heart as you are at work and, and, and constantly, Father, across this beautiful globe. Lord, may you prepare our hearts for what he has to share, and may we be willing to engage with your message for us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, sir. Amen. Thank you so much. Good morning. So good to be with you this uh, morning, and thank you so much, James, for those kind words. And uh, it's not just uh, reciprocity, really, from my heart. Uh, James and Sarah and the, and the kids, the boys, the Lund family, they've been an incredible blessing, uh, you know, to uh, my nation, South Africa, and having served for so many years. And so they, they've, been, they've been such a blessing that I... Uh, have always wondered, where have they come from? <laughs> you know, kind of like, what's the factory? You know, what kind of assembled them that really turned them into these amazing people? So uh, just to say, I'm here to spy out to see who can I take with me back to Africa. <laughs> you know, in case you were wondering, really, what, what is this African year for, you know? Uh, really, they've been just such an incredible blessing, and it's so good to be uh, with your community. And uh, we had Pastor Steve and others uh, come and visit in South Africa and see our work, but it's, it's such a joy 
uh, for me to be with you uh, this, this morning. I just want to introduce my family, just for you to know that uh, um, I'm from South Africa. Uh, I'm only married to one wife. <laughs> I have to say that, you know, our last president, you know, he, I think he's now on his seventh wife, you know, so uh, 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 former president Jacob Zuma from the Zulu tribe. So, I mean, that's very common, but, uh, you know, I'm married to one, uh, just, to, just to clarify. Uh, and, um, yeah, I've got four children. Um, Matty, he's the youngest. And then Levi, he's 17, uh, Ruben, uh, sorry, Leah, she's 23, and Ruben, he is uh, 25, 26 actually, he just turned 26 on, um, on Wednesday, the 31st of May, uh, got married last year in November uh, to a girl from the Midwest. So I'm not sure if anybody's here from the Midwest, she's from Indiana, but they say that's really where the good people are from in the USA. <laughs> So I'm not so sure, so I don't want any competition here, but that's what they say, okay? So uh, she's, uh, I'm not sure if you've got a slide up there of my family, so they can just see. So Ruben um, and uh, Maggie, they're living, uh, they're living in um, Huntington Beach. So I just flew up from LA last night. So just for you to know, I have to come uh, back from time to time to check on the United States of America, because I've got kids here, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, but it's been such a joy just to spend one day with them after having been in Orlando teaching at the YWAM base. Okay, so this morning I want to speak to you on God's signature. That's the title of my message, and I've got some points, but I won't tell you how many points. Since, you know, I don't want you to come back and say, you haven't covered that point. Okay, you only stop at number two or number three. But anyway, so we will see how far we get. But uh, I just want to speak to you about God's signature, really. You know, God that has marked us uh, with His life, with His Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, um, Jesus is saying to His disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so that has really been something that has marked my life and that has marked my journey. And so uh, I was traveling uh, a couple of years ago, um, and I just, uh, you know, picked up the newspaper, Killing Time, and then some heading of an article, I think it was the New York Times or the international version of the New York Times, and the heading really just struck uh, my attention. And so the title of the article was, Many Hands from many lands, many hands from many lands. And that was a story of the Steinway and Sons Grand Piano. Now, I just want to ask you in this uh, audience, how many of you have seen a Steinway and Sons Grand Piano? Oh my goodness, I've never been in an audience where so many people have seen a Steinway and Sons Grand Piano, right? My next question is, how many of you have played on one? Wow. James, can you just see these hands? Okay. Okay, because the next question is going to be very important. Okay, how many of you own one? Okay, because we're going to be taking up an offering very soon. So I can see that, you know, the hands, you know, that's where they become more reserved. Okay, they don't want to show, uh, show off. But, uh, of course, we know it's one of the world's most renowned pianos, and, uh, you know, 
And that was the story of that piano and the factory of that piano in New York. And so, obviously, with the new wave of immigration, you know, it was first Italians and Germans, and, you know, now, you know, at that time, it was people from the former Yugoslavia and, you know, from Latin America who were working in that factory. So, speaking different languages, coming from different backgrounds, and they were building one piano. And so, as the piano goes through the assembly line, not a lot has changed over a hundred years. You know, they put these pianos together, and so they interviewed one young man from the former Yugoslavia. His name is Thomas Kowalsko. And they asked him, they said, what is your job in building this world-famous piano? And he said, my job is to put the symbol and the signature of the Steinway and Sons Grand Piano at the end of the assembly line. And that is where you can recognize that symbol, that signature from anywhere in the auditorium where a musician would play or where that piano would be played. And then he said, sometimes I spend eight hours without even talking to somebody, just working on my job. And then he made the statement, he said, but the reward is not on the inside. The reward is on the outside. He said, it's when I watch television of a great concert, famous artists playing, and then I pull my two boys and my wife towards me in my small apartment in New York, and I would tell them as I pay, uh, point out, the Steinway and Sons Grand Piano, and I would say, this is what Dad is doing for a living. I'm putting signatures on the piano. Now, we are God's signature. We are God's witnesses. We are the hope that we have sung about this morning. Jesus, you are our hope. What does our hope, what does your hope look like? Because I'm a missionary, and I always tell our young missionaries in training, is that our mission must look like Jesus. Otherwise, it is not His mission. And that is why we must not just teach people how to pray the sinner's prayer when they come to Jesus, but we must also teach them to pray the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so uh, I was on a mission trip a number of years ago. I was living in England as a missionary. I mean, how can God take an African village boy to England as a missionary? It can only be God. When God called me in South Africa, He said, I want you to be a missionary in England. I said, God, I don't like that people. <laughs> now, if you're from English descent, you know, please forgive me. That was a number of years ago. God has worked on my heart. So don't get too offended. I said, I mean, God, they, you know, for one, England is not a very nice place to live in for an African because it rains all the time. That's why they say, oh, it's so green here. And English people are very quiet. And you can understand why they're quiet because you've got over 70 million people living on that small island. That's why in England, you know, an Englishman's house is his castle. So it's very rare that you get invited to, to their home because, you know, it's, it's, it's so private. So, uh, and I said to God, but, uh, you know, for one, their currency is the strongest in terms of, you know, my currency, the South African rand. And, and, uh, and I said, you know, anyway, uh, had all my arguments, all my excuses. How many, how many of you ever had God speak to you 
and then you are trying to give God some advice how it's not going to work. You don't have to raise your hand, just smile at me. It's like you've tried to counsel God. That's what I was trying to do. God, can I give you some counsel? <laughs> Sounds like Peter, you know, Jesus, you're not going to go to the cross. And then Jesus had to rebuke him, you know, get behind me, Satan, right? So we try to counsel God. So I had all these excuses. Anyway, I was, you know, I ended up in England and served there. I, I will never forget my biggest culture shock. You know, when uh, somebody, those days, you know, they still had the memos. And somebody in my office, they put a memo in my box. And uh, when I got my memo, the person wrote on the memo, I just want to say good morning to you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, can we have a chat afterwards? And so, of course, I was like, man, you know, you could have just tapped me on the back and you could have spoken to me. But then I realized the English, they, they so, they're so considerate that they didn't want to interfere with my space. And I spent a, I spent a wonderful time in England. It became one of, the, one of the best places where God has discipled me and uh, came to love, um, you know, these friends and ended up mentoring them and discipling them and still have got very good relationships there. But it was during that time that I took a flight uh, to um, speak at a, at a gathering in Calcutta, India. Now, I come from poverty in South Africa. I've seen poverty. And as I landed in Calcutta at one o'clock in the morning, drove to my hotel, I saw thousands of people sleeping on the sidewalk on cardboard boxes. A young man was pulling a rickshaw with, it looked like, you know, a pile, a huge pile of dirt, a ton, I don't know what you say this in, uh, in your version, you know, metric ton, and uh, he was running bare feet, pulling that wagon with this garbage, uh, you know, through puddles in the monsoon rain, and, and something just grabbed hold of my heart, and I asked the question, and went to bed with a question, is God, where are you in the city of Calcutta? And that was gnawing at me. Because that's a city that you love or you hate. And sometimes it happens at the same time. It's an amazing city. But anyway, a couple of days later, I had the privilege to meet Mother Teresa at her home. She came to me. I was towering over her. Three years before she passed away, she all bent down. And she grabbed me by the hand. She looked me in the eye. And then she said these words over and over again. She said, young man, young man, God loves the poorest of the poor. God loves the poorest of the poor. And as I look into her eyes, and oh, yes, I've been with other missionaries, but somehow God just spoke to my heart so deeply through that encounter. And then God said to me, I am in the city of Calcutta. I am in this city. I, I'm in every corner of the city. This is what I look like in the city as I look at the people of God. And I just want to say to you this morning that God is in the United States of America. Okay, you must a good place to say amen. <laughs> okay, I know there's still some unbelief. Don't worry, I'm coming back. We're working on that. <laughs> God is in this city. God is in this area. God is in this neighborhood. Because, yes, because you are here. You are God's signature. God has marked you as we, just quickly, I want to read in Ephesians. I know you've been working through the book of Ephesians. I've been watching some of uh, James's preaching. And by the way, I mean, this is not just, you know, to put honey around his, his mouth. But James, for me, is like 
He's like one of the best teachers. You guys are blessed. Right? Okay, now, that's right. No, I'm serious. I mean, I listen to his preaching just to make sure that he's preaching good, you know. <laughs> Otherwise, you guys are going to blame me. You said we sent him to you, and now he's coming back here. What has happened to them? So that's why I have to make sure he's preaching well. <laughs> no, but he's such a blessing, a great teacher. So in Ephesians chapter 1, it says in verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We have been marked by God. Now I just want to give you a few signs of God's signature in our lives. And the first sign is, God's signature is unique. It's our uniqueness. Out of the 8 billion people in the world, not one person is the same. And that God has created each one of us with such a uniqueness. He has, he has marked each one of us. He created us with gifts. He created us with callings. He created us with different personalities. You know, I, I always wanted to be an introvert because I thought introverted people are more holy. And I tried to be an introvert, but it only lasted half an hour. And then I was back again to my old self. I said, Jesus, please help me. Because I thought introverted people, you know, they just have this look. How are you? Mm. <laughs> they don't speak a lot. My mentor is from Germany. His name is Dr. Gunter Kralman. He, he did his PhD on how Jesus trained the 12. He's one of the authorities that's alive today. And I spent four years studying under him. A real privilege and a real honor. I think after his PhD, he took me as his mentoree because he wanted to see if this really worked, what he, <laughs> what he studied. <laughs> you know, he's really an expert on the Gospels. And, and I would never forget it. You know, he, he, he's, he's the most introverted person. I mean, that's like if you do a PhD. <laughs> I mean, you really need to be, you know, working hard, studying. So he's a real student. And uh, I remember he uh, introduced me to a book, at least he... Uh, he told me about a book I need to read. I haven't read the book yet, but uh, because the name of the book is Quiet. So it's actually a very good management book. It's a New York bestseller, you know, and it's the strength of introverted leaders. So I'm still working on that. But I mean, that is just the uniqueness, you know, in how God has created, has created each one of you. You've seen my wife on the picture. She's actually from Switzerland, uh, but she was born in New York where they drink coffee, you know. And so uh, she uh, was four years old when they moved back to Switzerland. And uh, I would never forget when we were married, you know, I'm the youngest of ten children, growing up in the African village, no running water, no electricity. My dream was not to come to Seattle. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> that was not my dream. I didn't even know Seattle existed. My dream was just to go to my next door town, about 12 miles away, so that I could have running water and electricity. I could flip the switch and the lights would come on. I would study by candlelight for my uh, senior exams in high school. 
And so that was my background. Now you can imagine, she grew up in Switzerland, in Lausanne, you know, small family, and, uh, you know, a, a real a wonderful, you know, up, upbringing there. And so we got married. I mean, that's, again, you know, how God put two opposites together. Right? You talk about uniqueness. And uh, so I remember we were living at the time in England, and, and so, um, you know, it's like when you get married, it's, you know, your first, you celebrate the first month anniversary, second month anniversary, third month anniversary. By the sixth month, I forgot about the anniversary. Okay, and so I came back from the office in Winton, England. You know, you go to the office, it's dark. You come back, you know, in the, in the evening, it's dark. And as I walk into, into our little apartment, and, and so I thought, man, there's something funny about what's going on in our apartment because there was no electricity. And there were candles all over our little apartment, in our bedroom, in our little kitchen, in our dining room slash lounge. And Diana wasn't there. So I walk in, and I wanted to see if the electricity came back on, so I flipped the switch, and like they say in French, voila, the power came on. And I blew out all the candles. She came back into the apartment, and I could see on her face I did something wrong. Because you don't have to be married for 60 years to recognize that look. The problem was I didn't know what I did wrong. And you in trouble even more if you don't know what you have done wrong. And then she asked me, Edwin, what have you done? I said, um, I don't know. I thought maybe I didn't kiss her in the morning. And long story short... She said to me, why are the lights on? I thought, this is my, my card out of jail. I'm like, the electricity came back on. <laughs> and then she said, the electricity was never off. She said, this is our six-month wedding anniversary, and I have prepared a romantic dinner for us around candlelights. And I look at her, I said, you know, candlelight has got nothing in my vocabulary or in my frame of reference got nothing to do with anything romantic. It reminds me of my trauma growing up poor. Okay. Okay. Today, I love candles. <laughs> I, I, I even buy candles. You know, the scented candles? That's what I have to bring back from America with me. When I fly back, you know, uh, you know next weekend... But I mean, this is just how different we are. But you know, God's signature in our life's friend is unique. The gifts that God has given you and the gifts that God hasn't given you is part of the package. So it's not only those gifts that He has given us, but it's also those things that we haven't received. How many of us wish that we were like somebody else? Or that we had certain gifts? Or that we had certain looks or certain height or, you know, this or that. Or we were born in a certain part of the world. I mean, that was my struggle. I think the one thing that I've learned from having worked with people like James and others from uh, the U.S. and, 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 and uh, particularly the Northern Hemisphere is this whole concept of that God has created us as individuals. 
There's something about the sacredness of who God has made us as individuals. He has given us a domain of authority as individuals because He has made each one of us unique. Especially for me coming from a very community, corporate culture where you somehow disappear in the crowd. And that is the uniqueness of this God, of this Bible, that He has called you. That He sees you with those amazing gifts and talents that He has given you. And that is to serve because God's goodness towards you is not for the sake of yourself only. It's to bless you, but it's not only for yourself. It's for the sake of others. God's goodness towards God's friends is really at the end of the day for the sake of God's enemies. The blessing of the Lord must move out. Let me give you the second point. It's not only that God's signature in our life is unique. And that's why we have to resist this thing in our culture that we are just average people. You are not an average person. I'm not an average person. I had to realize that as I started to read the Bible. Because I just thought I was average. And not only average, growing up in apartheid South Africa, I thought I was inferior. But it's this word of God that has set me free. And that word of God that has given me a message, a unique message to the world that I travel around the world. And that was not part of my landscape or even part of my dreams. But it's when I fell in love with Jesus, I fell in love with His dream. Because when you love God, you start to love what God loves. And God loves people. He loves the nations. The second one is, is that God's signature in our life is authentic. And that really is what the church must be. It's not to be perfect. We will never be perfect. But what people are longing for, and particularly young people these days, Generation Z, because I'm working with Youth with a Mission, so I'm working with a lot of young people. And so what they're looking for, more and more, but in general, people, they look for authenticity. Are you real? Am I real? They want to touch Jesus through our lives. And the amazing thing is not just only to touch Jesus in when we are strong, but it's sometimes it's when we are weak because it was when the disciples saw Him and He showed them His wounds. And it's as they touch His wounds, they experience the power of the resurrected Christ through touching His wounds in His resurrection body. And it's sometimes when we in this place where we are not trying to put up a front or try to hold it together, but where we are just real and allow God to manifest Himself and bring His healing through our own brokenness and through our own weakness. And sometimes, you know, especially when we go cross-culturally or when we go to our neighbor, it is so important that we don't approach the others through our strength, but that we approach the others through our weaknesses. How many of us, we know it's so easy to approach others through our strengths. Like we in control, we in power. But I believe that as we are crossing those barriers and we're meeting others, our neighbors, and, and we are witnesses of Christ and showing forth His love and who He is, it's in that place where we have to be sometimes so vulnerable and, and approach it from a place of weakness and, and just saying that, you know... There's place for you. It's an invitation. 
And it's in that place where we will meet this Jesus. This Jesus who heals our broken hearts. This Jesus that makes us grow together in this authentic community. It's in this Jesus community where we will, where we will celebrate. We're going to have community. The, the, the celebration around the table of the Lord. It's where we're going to be celebrating together, but also where we will be having mission together. I will never forget it. A friend of mine in Switzerland, he phoned me, he said, he said, Edwin, my boss would like to meet with you, with his daughter, because his daughter, she just graduated from university in Lyon in France, and she wanted to do some work with young kids on the streets in South Africa. Can they meet with you? And I said, sure, they can meet with me. And so we had a coffee. I was, on, uh, uh, I was speaking in Lausanne, Switzerland. And so I said, I had time. I went there. I met them with my wife. He was there with his boss and uh, his daughter. And so then the girl, Chloe, uh, she started speaking to me. And, and she said, I want to come and serve you know, children uh, in the poor communities in Cape Town. Uh, can I come as a volunteer? And then I said, yes, you can come. Only afterwards to realize that she was not a Christian. Now, I'm working for a missionary organization. Right? So we don't just welcome anybody into our community because, you know, we are a very trusting community. You know, and it's working with young people. And I realize I have just welcomed uh, not only a non-Christian, somebody that doesn't even believe in God to do missionary work now on the streets of South Africa in our townships. She was working in Umfalendi with Pastor Gabriel one of our church planning teams there. And, uh, and then I tried to get out of it because I know I have to contact my leadership team that James was a part of because I haven't followed protocol and saying that she has to fill in an application form as a volunteer and that's where we will, will vet her and then we will decide if she can come or not. So I basically skipped the whole process and then I knew I was in trouble and I have to get out of it. And then I tried to explain to her what a peculiar community we were. <laughs> we pray together, we worship together, we sometimes raise one hand, other times two hands, other times we just stand like this, and sometimes we dance, and sometimes we do this, and sometimes we, you know, I was just trying to basically uh, 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 push her away from actually coming, and the more I'm telling her how peculiar, peculiar we were, the more she became interested. <laughs> and then I had to call my leadership, I said, guys, I'm so sorry, I just accepted a girl to come and serve with us for three months in our community. She's not a Christian. She doesn't believe in God. And I said, I'm so sorry. They said, Edwin, it's not a problem. It's fine. But if anything happens, it's going to be your fault. <laughs> I mean, that's how kind James were, you know. So it's going to be your fault. So she arrived the first morning. You know, that's when you pray that some of the more charismatic people in your community don't show up. <laughs> okay, because you've got visitors now, right? You're like, really, the worship team toned down. Okay, don't be too excited. So I'm praying now. I'm just like Jesus. This girl is in our first, you know, prayer time. And guess what? All the charismatic people for the prayer meeting, normally only like, you know, 50%, 60% of them showed up, 100% of them showed up. And it was the most charismatic prayer meeting we've had. And Chloe stood in the corner and she freaked out. That was also the same week that 
one of my staff got a bit upset with the other staff, and they had a bit of a, a little tussle, to put it mildly. And then they came into the staff meeting that week, and they said, we lost our anger, and we want to apologize to our community. Because we should have known better. She's sitting there. Now, everything that you feared about how phony the church can be happened to me during that week. And I am like, I have lost this girl. On the Friday, she went to my wife and she was weeping. Now, I would also weep if I'm in a YWAM community like that. You know, where missionaries are having a little scuffle. And then other things happen. I mean, one of our students, I'm not going to tell you which continent they were from. They met her in the foyer. It was the first week of our uh, intake of our basic school. Just to let you know, it was our basic school. And uh, so uh, one of the young men, he looked at her and he said, My sister, I would like to pray for you. And uh, also, I've got a prophecy for you. And I believe that you're going to be my wife one day. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to tell you which part of the United States. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you which continent they were from. But it's like, you know... Just fresh of, you know, into our community, our first intake, our students, and that is what happened. And it's like, I will, of course, Diana, my wife, I told her, I will also cry if I'm experiencing what she has experienced in the first week. Diana looked at me, she said, Chloe's not crying because of what you are saying. She just told me in French, because they speak French together. Chloe just said, it's been the most impactful week in her life where she has never experienced such authenticity and the love that she has never experienced in her life. And she said, Africa was my dream as a little girl, and that was, my last, that was the last chance I gave not giving up on life. And I always wanted to come to Africa. And she was weeping and weeping and weeping because she felt so accepted and so loved. And she touched something about authenticity that she has never experienced. And I look at Diana and I was like, where was this girl the last week? Because that was not my experience. To make a long story short, I just wrote her a message the other day, after a decade and a half. And she's working with young people in Europe. It was during that time that Chloe became a follower of Jesus. I led her to Christ in my office, and we never pushed Jesus onto her. We just had a live with us. Last, the last point is God's signature is not only unique in our lives, it's not only authentic, but it's also authoritative. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Okay. Can you just say with me, like we said in Africa, power? power. It sounds much better. <laughs> We will receive power. It's not our power. It's the Holy Spirit's power through weak vessels like you and me. And friends, I mean, I can tell you that I've got this degree. So I'm this, you know, amazing missionary and this amazing Bible student and this and that. But as I shared with you a little bit of my story of my own brokenness, my own challenges, you know, God is using people like you and me to entrust with His power, with His authority. And all that God is looking for is just for us to be available and just for us to be willing. And so as James has shared with you, I've worked with in the area of reconciliation with different nations as God has taken me as the most unlikely person around the world. 
and uh, ministering particularly with uh, First Nations peoples from New Zealand to Hawaii to uh, Norway in the Arctic Circle and so forth. And, and so I was sitting in my office one day and going around my business at the YWAM base and then I had a knock on the door and as the door was opened, I saw the chiefs from my tribe, the native chiefs of South Africa, they were in front of my door and they came in to see me. The paramount chief was, always, was also there. And I sat there, this is like quite a number of years into our democracy, more than two decades into our democracy as South Africa. And they said to me, in our democracy, we have been excluded, we have been marginalized, we don't have our rights, we are relegated to history, but we are still alive, nobody sees us. And then they said, we've heard about what you're doing with nations to nations around the world. And they pointed the finger at me and they said, but what are you doing for your own people? And I started to weep. I mean, tears came down my face and I said to them, as God moved my heart, as I look into the eyes of my uncles and aunties and, and moms and dads. And, and so, and I said, what can I do? And they said, call the United Nations. Now I had a telephone in my office. Now, I'm not a diplomat. I've never aspired to be one. But I've just said yes to Jesus and allow him to move my heart. And for God to move your heart and my heart, we will do things that we never thought that we would be able to do. But it's not us, but it's his spirit inside of us. And as James has shared with you, the only thing that I could do was pick up the phone and I called the United Nations. They answered on the other side. And I said, I would like to meet with you. And they asked me this wonderful question. Who are you? I couldn't say I'm the YWAM director. I couldn't say that I've got a business degree from Washington State University. I couldn't say anything of that. And I turned to the Paramount Chief. I said, they asked me who I was. He said, tell them that you are the international ambassador of all the native tribes in South Africa. And I turned back to the lady. I said, just to let you know, I'm the ambassador <laughs> Friends, to make a long story short, it's been a journey of about 12 years. But about two years ago, the native people of South Africa has been recognized for the first time in almost 500 years of colonialism as people in South Africa. And I can give glory to Jesus because He is worthy. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power. Power to move you across the street. Power to move you across the nations. Power to move you just to talk to somebody or to witness to somebody that you never thought you would ever able to open your mouth to or do an act of kindness uh, to be able to share the good news of Jesus with you. And I want to finish and say to you this morning, you are God's signature. Shall we pray together? Lord, we just want to thank you this morning. So we're going to come to the table, this table that is open for everyone. This, this table that is it's not so much a preaching, but it's a demonstration of the love of Jesus. It's a table where we can partake of your body and your blood. Lord, we are so aware this morning that you have called each one of us to be your witnesses, to be your signature, because we've been marked by you. Many hands from many lands that could build this great piano with each one at the end of the assembly line having a distinct sound. And Lord, in the same way, you've written your name upon us because 
You turn your face towards each one of us. Your goodness, your kindness, your blessing. And so we just pray this morning for this assembly, for these people who are sitting here this morning, that they will be so encouraged, Father God, to know that you see the smallest, those who feel the least gifted, the least able. And so we thank you that you're drawing us towards you. And as you draw us towards you, you draw us towards one another and to this table where we can meet and have fellowship with you and be marked by you in a new way in Jesus' name. Amen.